this special episode of In Your Shoes podcast, I feature the author of the book, The Vaccine, Inside the Race to Conquer the COVID-19 Pandemic, written by Joe Miller, the Financial Times Frankfurt correspondent who covered BioNTech COVID-19 project. The book covers the dramatic story of the married scientist who founded BioNTech and developed the first vaccine against COVID-19. In the podcast, we briefly discuss the key elements from the book and the lessons it offers to the world. I hope you will enjoy it. Uh, I really found your book joyful. That was my first book of this year. And I was saying to my friends, this is like the fastest book I have ever read. Like I could not keep my hands off the book. So I finished it like in uh, on a Saturday. And my wife was like, what's wrong with you? Like, this is the first day of the new year. So what's happening with you? We're just stuck with the book. <laughs> so I really enjoyed the book. I have uh, recommended this book to many of my friends and colleagues. Um, I really like the sense of pace and also a sense of, you know, glooming mystery. Uh, it's also a thriller in some ways. And I really liked how you represented different nature of human thinking that goes behind the scene. Also the altruistic nature of uh, both Dr. Tursi and Dr. Sahin. So really great job in bringing this book oh, to life. Thank you very much. It's very gratifying. And the, the thriller element was very deliberate. I was hoping that it would be, uh, well, it would read in a way that would be, um, you know, interesting to, to someone reading it on a beach as well as, you know, people who have more of an insight into the science already. I think it just worked brilliantly. And this brings me to the question around, is this your first book that you have published? Yeah, first book I've written, never mind published. Um, and um, it came about in a sort of rushed um, and unexpected manner. Um, I guess I thought at some point I would write a book about something. I didn't know it was going to be about a vaccine against the new pathogen. Um, and I didn't even realize, I think, you know, during 2020 that I would be writing a book. It was only really towards the latter end of the year when it became clear that, um, you know, this vaccine was going to be, if not one of the first, the first clinically approved uh, vaccine out there. And also that it was going to be astonishingly efficacious that I realized I was, you know, going to have to grab this opportunity and write a book. Um, and, um, you know, thankfully, I didn't have time to do the sort of thing you would do if you were writing your first book, which is to gather advice from everyone and to sort of, you know, talk through various different uh, strategies and, um, you know, how to write and when to write and what software to use and all of that kind of thing. I just had to go straight in and do it. Um, and I'm grateful for that because it was a baptism of fire. And if I ever write another book, I think it will be an easier process than this one was. And this, I think, is really interesting for me to understand as a first time author what is what goes behind writing a book like this like give me a peek into uh, what happens in the process of writing this book also thinking about a book like this so the the, the blessing about writing this particular book is that the narrative structure is already there, right? You know you're going to start with the beginning, and the beginning is the pandemic, and um, you know the the uh, the pathogen being discovered, and Ugashahin reading about it in a journal, and you know basically where you're going to end. You're going to end with a successful um, vaccine, 
Um, and um, we added a little bit on at the end uh, about what's happened since to just update people. But but practically speaking, that's those are the bookmarks of the the bookends rather of this of this narrative. Um, then the challenge is that you've got a lot of history that you need to put in there, both scientific and business and, and things like that. But what I started with was a very clear narrative arc. So I knew the various different you know, um, stops along the way um, and a lot of history, which I then tried to fit in in the appropriate places so as not to kind of interrupt the narrative too much um, and to sort of have it in there kind of organically so that you don't feel the sort of handbrake turn um, at, a, at every at every um, juncture that I need to introduce, um, you know, some background. Um, so in that sense, it was it was it was quite easy, I should say, um, in, in terms of the planning. Uh, what was difficult, though, is the sheer amount of information that I had and, and data um, and deciding what was important enough to make it in, because uh, as, as I think I write in, in the introduction or in the epilogue, I can't quite remember where, but, you know, this is the first draft of this story, you know, it's written in the immediate aftermath of a great, you know, medical breakthrough. There'll be many more books written about the vaccines that were produced in 2020 uh, and how they were produced and the science behind them, etc. cetera, uh, because there's so much more to say. There's so much more to say, uh, uh, you know, about about the chemistry and the biology and there's so much more to say about you know the global response there's so much more to say about um you know how uh, public health um uh, messaging was was done etc um so really the biggest challenge was to decide what to leave out what to say you know this can you know what what to, what to essentially um agree uh, upon you know what 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 to sequester and say this would be better dealt with in a few years time bit perspective rather than the stuff that you know that's immediate and needs to be told now fantastic and if i may ask you like as a first time author i think it always comes with its own set of anxieties especially when you write a topic like that um, what were you anxious about and also maybe things that you were thinking as you were going through the process of writing this book well, the things I was anxious about when I was writing it, um, I would no longer be anxious about if I was writing another book. Um, my main anxiety was um, finishing in time because I had strict um, deadlines um, from publishers, uh, but also getting to the minimum word count. So the minimum word count for a book normally is around 80,000 words. Um, and I was trying to write um, something like a, a thousand, between a thousand and two thousand words a day. Um, and at the beginning, when it's very, you, you, it's quite difficult to populate a page because you're doing the research at the same time, and you know you don't have um, all of the content, so to speak, in front of you. I panicked, thinking that I wasn't going to get anywhere near um, the eighty thousand words. As it happens. Um, I had, you know, much more, um, I had something like 120,000 in the end and the challenge was slimming it down. And, you know, and as I say before, you know, deciding what to leave out was, was one of the biggest challenges, but that was my, my chief anxiety. Um, my other anxiety was that the story would move, uh, so quickly that the basic premise of the book, uh, you know, would, would start to fall through. So for example, that, uh, uh, something terrible would happen, you know, there would be some terrible uh, side effects or, or, or something like that, or that the, you know, a new variant would pop up and it would 
completely destroy the vaccine's efficacy. Uh, and I mean, I should say, I should stress, I had no reason to believe that based on the science. It was just one of those anxieties you have as a, as a writer. Um, but luckily, um, you know, none of that happened. Um, and I think that even, you know, with all of the complications that we have now with Omicron, uh, the basic premise of the book stands up and the basic premise of the last chapter, which talks about how, uh, you know, BioNTech can adapt to new variants um, and other mRNA um, vaccine producers, I should add. Uh, I think that stands true. Um, you know, I think if you look now at the, at the stats of people who are in ICU beds, um, you know, the vast majority are, are unvaccinated, and that's about as clear as uh, a, 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 an indication as you need that the vaccine is still, you know, a massive success. Um, so that was my that was my major sort of uh, those are my major two anxieties. I, I would say, you know, coupled with the question of would someone else have done this better, but that's I think true of every book you write. You know, you think, oh, you know, am I the person to do this? Uh, and as I have no science background, um, you know, I was I was. Um, I, I wouldn't say uh, self-conscious about that, but I was conscious of trying to to make sure um, that that you know didn't become one of the book's shortcomings. I think that's a great segue in something I was very curious about. This, like, in the last two to three years since the time of beginning of this pandemic, I, I think you would have also noticed it. Bookshelves and bookstores are just full of books around making science more digestible. I think people are getting curious to know about what goes inside a vaccine, what's happening to the immune system, what's this pandemic and the history, especially like Spanish flu and other things that have gone in past. And I think this book plays, according to me, an interesting role in this greater movement, especially not diluting the science. You know, for example, I still remember that wanted poster metaphor that you use constantly in the book. And I think it makes us more approachable for audiences of all from all backgrounds. And uh, this makes me, this pops up a question. Uh, what was your process of making science more digestible through a text like that? Especially these metaphors that you've used. I think those are brilliant ways of tackling that. But I also really want to understand what were you thinking about especially when you have such a huge amount of information that goes behind applying and building a vaccine. Well, Vivek, firstly, I should say that that um, wanted uh, poster metaphor was not mine. It was actually Azam Karechi's. I had a different metaphor and in discussing it with her, um, you know, she brought up this metaphor and I thought, oh, that's much better. I'm going to use that instead. Um, so I can't claim credit for, for that metaphor. Uh, but um, on the general principle, you're right. I read I think something like 400 scientific papers um, uh, for for this book, um, and obviously interviewed dozens of scientists and spent, God, I don't know how many hours, you know, with the with the doctors themselves, um, going over and over the the, the basics again and again. Um, and uh, firstly, I had to get to the point where I understood it, um, and then the point where I could communicate it. Um, and metaphor was a really important part of that process because uh, all metaphor is essentially reductive, right? Um, there is no such thing as a perfect metaphor uh, for for a scientific process. Uh, and I settled on this mi military metaphor because I started with loads of different metaphors that were far more accurate for the individual scenarios. But I felt that you could only really have 
one metaphor throughout the book before people would get confused. So I sacrificed some accuracy by uh, plumping for a metaphor that could work for T cells, that could work for antibodies, that could work for uh, you know lipids and, and all of the other sort of components that we had to explain properly. Um, and, and that was a conscious choice. Um, none, nothing is um, you know wrong, I would say, in the way we describe something, but sometimes I have simplified things in order to fit it into the metaphor because I think otherwise you would lose you know um, the the average reader and that that is a conscious choice. and that's what I you know talked about when I say there'll be other books um, written. I'm sure there'll be many more scientific books written for people who have a certain, um, grounding in, in biology, for example, in microbiology, uh, who can go into, you know, the details and, and, you know, you could, you could write volumes and volumes on, on, on mRNA, um, science. Um, but I think that, um, one of the things that's really interesting about this story, and one of the things that's really important now with vaccine hesitancy and, and skepticism out there is that, um, biology, luckily lends itself to metaphor. So someone like me who has no biology background, who may have fallen asleep through some of those crucial lessons back in school, it doesn't actually take that long to get a basic grounding again, especially in immunology. Um, of course, it's an infinitely complex topic, but on a very, um, you know, on, on, on a conceptual level, it's quite easy to explain what the immune system does. For example, if we were writing about, you know, quantum physics uh, or something like that, it wouldn't lend itself to metaphor. It would be much, much more difficult to write a book like this about, about something like, you know, black holes. But when you're talking about the immune system, thankfully, I think that does translate. And I hope what this book does, um, you know, not just to those people who read it, but perhaps to people who, who read it and have conversations with others around them, is to encourage people to go back to the source material, to go back to their, you know, biology textbooks. I think if you spend a couple of hours, you know, no more doing research into the basic, uh, the basics of uh, of immunology, you can get, a, you know, real grounding in how um, COVID nineteen vaccines work and answers to lots of the questions that are that are out there. I would say. I think this is such a well put answer to this because just to give you an example, I think what your book triggered for me personally is. I started subscribing to science journals. So I'm a science student, but I was never a biology student uh, coming from a mathematics and physics background. And I started buying books about how immune system operates, what is the molecular biology of a cell, how immunotherapy works. And uh, it was a weird pursuit. I was like, okay, where I'm going with this? But I think what really I liked about the metaphors that you use, I think it creates this kind of planting the seeds for people who want to go into this curiosity journey, so figuring out information for themselves. And I think that also kind of elevates the type of conversations we can make in, you know, in general media these days, when everybody has an understanding of facts. So uh, in that sense, I think your book really did a good, interesting job in doing that. And also I think hope listeners of this podcast and elsewhere, I think who would read this book would also get these seeds implanted in them to go into that exploration journey for themselves. Yeah, I, I hope so. It certainly planted those seeds in myself. You know, I mean, I I got into loads of different sort of, um, uh, you know, I got sidetracked into loads of different issues that I haven't had time to research properly, but I, I do want to spend more time, you know, researching and now writing about um, 
because you know th there are so many avenues that you could go down with with this story as i mentioned you know it's a business story it's a politics story it's a science story uh it's a story about entrepreneurship um and uh it, it hopefully will open up those avenues not just for me but for other writers and um i look forward to reading loads more on the subject totally i agree with that uh one other theme that i observed while reading the book multiple times um is the theme around decision making under pressure and also the altruistic nature of both the founders of uh beyond tech and also the app, app aspect around risk taking uh, i think the examples around certain countries taking their own time in deciding to go ahead uh, versus perhaps some other countries who are like okay let's do everything necessary to get this vaccine out i think this creates a very interesting interplay so for showing how the humans really work around making decisions under pressure and when you have a timeline like this to get something out what you hope people would take away from the book around the topic around decision making under pressure and as you said entrepreneurship is another angle to it and also risk taking i think that it's very difficult to take you know concrete lessons from a story like this because it's so unique right if you were to try and say okay you know ugashahin and azam tarechi came up with the first approved um, covid vaccine how can we make sure that the next azam tarechi and ugashahin come up with the next innovation i couldn't give you a, a set of policies that would bring about you know this scenario again it's a freak um coincidence that these people were in the right place at the right time having researched the right technology for 30 years and having you know assembled the right team um but what i think it does drive home is the power of individuals right it was individual will individual focus uh, you know individual uh, commitment that got us to this point not grand you know um transnational organizations or ngos or anything like that they all to put not to put too fine point to it failed right i mean there was a discussion at the world economic forum at davos at the beginning of 2020 about this pathogen and um a plan was sketched between the various um confusingly named uh, ngos that are supposed to look after these things uh, and it all basically fell apart as soon as it hit political reality while meanwhile people who you know two people who had never been anywhere near davos or or weren't on the radar of any of these organizations or or of governments around the world were just plowing ahead and doing their thing you know um uh, and i think we as a society um and we as a culture Uh, have to be a little bit more open to the fact that this is how innovation works innovation doesn't work through a spreadsheet you cannot sort of say right we're going to you know invest in this area and we expect the innovation to come um out of that to be completely focused on this topic you just have to support people with good ideas support people with drive support people with vision and you don't really know where that's going to end up you know if you supported ugus shahin and azam tarachi a few years ago you would have supported them for their development of cancer therapies you would have had no clue whatsoever that it would end up you know helping um, the world in its largest public health crisis for a century um and to me that's you know that was the amazing thing about this is the when the world was in lockdown a bunch of completely anonymous people in a city that you know no disrespect to minds most people hadn't heard of 
who were at the forefront of all of this, you know. Um, and to me, that was invigorating, you know, because it says so much about all of our potential. Um, and it also says something about the fact that, um, you know, we can't control something as um, nebulous as, as human innovation, you know, it, it emerges, you know, through the cracks from all sorts of unexpected places. And the best that we can do is be open as, as a society, as a, as a culture, to people who clearly, you know, have drive, um, you know, have vision, um, want to do something with their lives, um, and, and hope for the best, basically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's such a beautifully way of describing it. And I think when I reread the book, and especially the parts where uh, both the founders and the team behind them uh, trying their all possible avenues to get this out, to test it, and they had obviously go through a different process, essentially uh, a process which is designed to prevent uh, calamities, but yet they come in the way uh, when thinking about creating a solution quickly in terms of uh, in hands of customer. And I think what you're saying is quite interesting because instead of manufacturing innovation, uh, what I take away from what you shared in the book and also what you're sharing now is how can we as uh, organizations, as teams, and also individuals create an environment where we think about reducing blockers and uh, hindrances in front of people obviously this comes hand in hand and there's a balance and harmony that needs to happen. So you cannot just have an open thing that do whatever you want. Uh, but I think there's a sense of uh, freedom, but also reasonable uh, steps that one has to go through. Otherwise, I'm just thinking like worst case scenario, if uh, there was uh, the Austrian border and the German border had a lockdown and nobody would have allowed the cars to move out for some reason, this could have slowed down the whole production. I think the whole aspect that you shared in the story about samples being moved back and forth in cars, people meeting uh, you know, in a hallway or outside a car park and trying to put this, I think this creates this element that also so much of beautiful chaos that goes in, which people underestimate, right? I think uh, a lot of when we start thinking about uh, bringing vaccine, it's like, oh, people working in lab, everything is structured, everything is beautifully planned. But I think your book revealed this behind the scene, which I think was my beautiful takeaway from that book is there is a sense of beautiful chaos that goes behind the scene. And I think you did a very, very good job in bringing it up. And this brings to me perhaps uh, the question, what did you hope people would take away from looking at that chaos? Uh, would it also create more questions in their mind about what goes in, or you felt it will also trigger the conversations in their mind? This is all not, uh, not innovation, as you said, does not happen when everything is manufactured. Sometimes people just take steps that they have to take to get things out. Yeah, um, I like your characterization of it as, as beautiful chaos. I would describe the entire response to COVID-19 from all organizations around the world as abject chaos, you know, complete chaos. Um, the difference here was the chaos translated into a, a vaccine. And in many other parts, the chaos turned out to be a, a massive hindrance. Um, so I'm not necessarily advocating for, for chaos everywhere. I, you know, I think that 
uh, was a big mistake. And there's many, many things that can be done at the international level to make sure we have a less chaotic response to, to COVID-19 and indeed to any other new uh, pathogen, um, you know, or disease um, that, that comes along. For example, just to, just, to, just to take one issue, you know, it's very clear that even if mRNA vaccines um, become more, even more efficient than they are now, and we can get a new vaccine within, say, three months of a, of a new pathogen um, turning up, um, you still have three months in which the virus is spreading around the world. And the first line of defense, and perhaps the only line of defense we could have to that is an efficient track and trace system. Now, we do not have an efficient track and trace system. And to my knowledge, the best minds of Silicon Valley are not working on an efficient track and trace system. Um, and so there's, there are many, many things we can do within a less chaotic struct structure to, to get us to that, that, that point. I guess it goes back to my previous point when we talk about that chaos. I think that society needs to allow space for the chaotic. There needs to be, uh, uh, you know, we cannot regiment innovation completely. We cannot have all of our solutions within a certain framework. Of course, we need to have a framework and of course, we need to have functioning governments and functioning bureaucracies, but we also need to have uh, you know, a ring-fenced part of society in which people with moonshot ideas are free to do their thing, and not only free to do their thing, but respected and listened to when they do come up with, um, you know, with good ideas and, and, and with innovations and things like that. Um, and instead of being so prescriptive about how, um, you know, innovation should happen within X university or, you know, X region, I think we should we should give up on that kind of thing and i see a worrying trend for example in in europe at the moment where you know say we're talking about semiconductors now and the shortage of semiconductors um this sort of reshoring or attempt to reshore uh, semiconductors and, and chip design and things like that i think all of those ideas end up being wrong-headed because they say we want this kind of innovation to happen here using these people instead of embracing the kind of um you know the the, the beautiful chaos as you put it Thank you for sharing that light. I think uh, each one of the things that you talked about could basically mushroom into its own conversation and we can spend hours on this, but I really want to appreciate the time uh, that you have now. Uh, for, and just as we end, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on this podcast, bringing your insight, your learning from the process of writing book and I hope we get to talk again whenever you have an opportunity because there's so much that I can talk to you about and learn from you and bring it to the people who would be very interested in this. Likewise, thanks very much. And um, I'm sure yeah, I'll be very happy to continue the conversation sometime. Please subscribe to the podcast In Your Shoes on the podcast channel, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and others. To know more, please visit www.inyourshoes.com that is i n u r shoes.com